Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Skincare Anarchy. This is your host, Ekta, and today I have with me Brittany Fallon, who is the beauty director at New Beauty. So welcome, Brittany. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Um, I actually really want to get started by talking about New Beauty. Um, it's, you know, I, I dove a little bit into it, but could you go into like, um, you know, just the overall, you know, theme of it, the publication? Yeah, so um, New Beauty is a quarterly magazine um, that was actually launched in 2005. Um, It's dedicated to all things beauty and aesthetics and wellness. Um, And we really consider ourselves the beauty authority. And one of the things that sets us apart is that we really set the standard for reporting on aesthetics. Um, So back in 2005, what I mean by that is that we were talking about dermatology and plastic surgery and the like before everyone else was, um, it was still considered taboo, um, or then it was considered taboo and it's still, some would say it still is today. Um, so things like Botox and filler and facelifts. Um, and we were really getting into the science and the research behind it. It wasn't like, oh, this celebrity just had a facelift. It was like educating our readers about what was happening in in the aesthetic space before it was popular, like it is today. Um, so what I love so much about it is that a lot of our readers call us their beauty Bible and they really trust our reporting because we have such a strict editorial process. So all of our content is vetted by a medical advisory board of board certified doctors and top wow. experts in the business. And um, our board has kind of evolved over the course of the last year to become what's known as our new beauty brain trust. And it's mm-hmm. incredible. It's a hundred um, experts in all fields. So wellness, fitness, um, board certified plastic surgeons, dermatologists, hairstylists, makeup artists, yeah. you name it um it's like having the best beauty experts in the world on speed dial wow that's really really cool it's like 360 approach really it really is um I you know I love what I do and I think new beauty is really an all-encompassing brand it's it's really exciting to be part of something that's no longer just a physical magazine it's it's um it's all-encompassing because we have the magazine um but then we also have test tube uh which is actually so the new beauty test tube was the first ever beauty subscription box which was founded in 2006 which is really neat because a lot of people think of some of the other um subscription boxes when they you know think of beauty boxes and actually ours was the first um, wow. which a lot of people don't know. Yeah. So, um, know that. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually curated by our editors. So, um, I have a large hand in helping with that. Um, we also have like really big new beauty live events, um, which we used to have in person in our New York office, and we've now had to pivot and put them on virtual platforms, but those have been wildly successful. And we were the, one of the first, uh, women's magazine brands to do virtual events of this magnitude. Um, wow. and then we also have beauty pass, which which is an innovative texting platform that we launched this year, which has been also super successful. We have all these people who have subscribed to this platform and they basically get text messages um, every week, alerting them to exclusive beauty deals that our team has curated um, that they can, that they can get through text. So it's, it's really cool. I mean, the CEO of our parent company, um, our parent Mm -hmm. company is called Sandow and our CEO, Adam Sandow is, um, a true innovator and he's always challenging us to really innovate and push the needle in the beauty space. And I think that we've, we've done that, um, by leaps and bounds. Yeah. And it sounds like it's more of like a interactive, um, beauty publication really. Right. It's like you're, you're having other ways for, um, consumers to interact with your, your content. Exactly. I think 
in this day and age, you, you can no longer just offer one thing. You, you really have to be multifaceted. Um, you know, the consumer is, the reader is, is, is demanding content at every level. And, um, you know, that's also kind of how the, the beauty editor and beauty director roles have evolved. You know, we're right. not just writing anymore. Um, you know, back in the day before we were, you know, pre-social media and when, before we were guzzling, you know, news content <laughs> by yeah. the minute, um, you know, we were just, beauty editors were just responsible for the print content. And right. um, it's, it's changed so much. I mean, we are, we, you know, we've now take on that 360 approach where we have our hands in social media every day and, and digital, we're writing for the website. Then we're also writing for print and we're involved in special projects. And right. um, so it's, it's incredible. I mean, and now also, I'm sure you've heard this from the other editors you've spoken to as well. The teams are leaner than ever before. So we're all wearing many hats and learning how to juggle and, you know, it keeps the days interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. I mean, you know, that's such a cool role to have though. I mean, uh, sure it keeps it interesting, but also just for your own overall understanding of the industry, right? That's, that's gotta be very beneficial. I I think so. You know, some of the things you're picking up on social media, you're not going to see in print and vice versa. And, um, you know, I get tips and inspiration from every platform and I'm, I'm glad to have my hands in all of it. I think at the, you know, if we would ask some editors or maybe even myself five years ago, um, you know, if they liked it, it was, it was a lot more work. So maybe not everybody would have said yes at the time, but I think now the more you can say yes to, and the more things you can have your hands in makes you more valuable. And, um, I, I think it's all beneficial. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can definitely see that. And I actually want to, I want to go back and um, talk about you, actually, because how (laughs) did you end up uh, deciding to be in this role, you know, so I want you to take us back to your career journey, like how you got involved in the editorial world, and you know, just um, how you decided on this to be your, your path. Of course. So I guess I'll start from the beginning. Um, I grew up in a suburb of Richmond, Virginia, and I knew early on that I wanted to be a journalist and moved to New York City. I had visited the city a few times and, you know, um, always just the same thing everyone says. The energy is just it's electric and it's um, contagious. And I I wanted to be part of that. Um, I didn't I knew I didn't want to stay in Virginia. Don't, Don't get me wrong. I loved where I grew up. I just I knew yeah. that there were bigger, bigger things out there um, for me to be a part of. My brother's of. actually in Virginia, so I know what you mean. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Virginia yeah. is such a great state and I wouldn't trade my childhood for anything, but I, I just had my, you know, sights set on New York from a very early age. So I actually right. became um, editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper, and then I continued writing in college at Virginia Tech, um, and I majored in communications with a journalism path. So at Virginia Tech, you could pick whether you wanted to follow the PR path, um, you could go broadcast or you could go print journalism and I chose print. Um, So my favorite course was magazine writing and I had a really good relationship with my professor and he was like, you know, you're cut out for this. I think you should really pursue this. Um, So I wrote for a few publications on campus and then eventually became the vice president of the Society of Professional Journalists there. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, you know, I had considered, um, you know, looking at NYU and Northwestern and and traditional journalism programs. And I think what it came down to is 
staying in state. I really wanted to be close to family and I wanted yeah. to be on a campus where, you know, we had almost 30,000 students when I was there. And I, I knew that that would allow me um, access to a diverse um, population of students and um, just different points of view and opportunities. And so it was a good decision in the end. I, I, I met my husband in college and um, <laughs> a lot of good things came out of it. So um then my junior year of college, I was offered an editorial internship opportunity um, through one of my mom's friends to come to New York for the summer and work in a beauty trade magazine called Cosmetic World. Um, hmm. And funny enough, I didn't realize until then that beauty editors were a thing. Like I had no <laughs> idea you could write about beauty for a living. So that wasn't even a thought for me until then. Um, I actually thought that I would be a travel writer because I love to travel or right. a food writer because my mom was always like, you're obsessed with food. You're going to be a food writer. Right. Um, and anyway, I knew a person, one person who lived in New York. Um, it was a girl I had met on vacation yeah. and I kept in touch with, and I told her about the opportunity and she was like, you have to do this. So her family actually let me come live with them on Long Island for the summer. Oh, how cool. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome to take the internship. So she was actually interning at Ralph Lauren and we would take the train into the city every day together. And it was, it was surreal for me. Um, it was, <laughs> That's so you know, cool. coming, I love that. yeah, like coming from Virginia, I was like, this is, this is it, this, you know, it, yeah. I really made it happen. Um, and then I went back to school for my senior year. And when I graduated, it was 2009. Um, that was in the middle of the recession and there were zero jobs. Um, oh. It's, it seemed like every entry level job in magazines was turned into an unpaid internship at the time or eliminated completely. Wow. Um, and I was living in Virginia. So trying to move to New York, it was even more difficult. Um, yeah, I bet, yeah. I bet. So I actually took a job as a substitute teacher at my old high school and I lived at home in Virginia for a few months which yeah. was, which was really cool. I was like sitting in the teacher's lounge at the school I used to go to. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then one day I got a call from the company that I had interned with cosmetic world to yeah. have me come interview for the editor position. Um, because they told me that the current editor was moving to Paris and they needed to fill the role very quickly, which was, uh, great for me. So I immediately booked a flight. I did the interview. I got hired the next day and I moved to, into uh, New York City in an apartment two weeks later. That's amazing. Um, That's so yeah. cool. It was a but really- what's meant to be will be, yeah? I mean, it, really. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, everything I feel like that's happened in my career has happened very fast. And I yeah. always tell people that I say, you know, if, if something comes your way and, and you know that it, like it, you feel it in your gut, just make the decision fast and don't wait on it because it really could pass you by. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So I was at Cosmetic World for about two and a half years yeah. and that really paved the way for me in the beauty industry um, and opened my eyes to the inner workings of beauty that like consumers don't get to see because it was a trade publication. So it was focused on the business side of the industry. Oh, okay. um, so yeah, so it was, it was a biweekly trade publication. It's now defunct, but I was reporting on trends and events and focusing on the business of beauty. So things, for example, like how all of the parts of a perf perfume bottle are made, um, mm. you know, 
I don't think people realize that like the cap comes from one company and the pump comes from one company and the glass right. comes from another. I right. was getting to interview all those people and I was really seeing how everything comes together. It was fascinating. Yeah. Um, so I was very fortunate to start out that way. Uh, so like one day, for example, I'd be interviewing like William Lauder. Yeah. Can you hear me? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I can hear. Yeah. Um, okay. One day I'd be interviewing William Lauder and Fabrizio Freda at Estee Lauder's stockholder meetings. Yeah. And then the next day I'd be interviewing Kim Kardashian at Macy's for her new fragrance. That's so, so cool. I it love was like, that. Yeah. It was like wild and exciting, but also like very hard work um, to start Hopefully out. You way. got to see, you got to see firsthand then how, um, you know, interconnected the beauty world is then that's very important. You know, yeah. I think like there's a huge disconnect between consumers understanding and just, you know, all of the players that are involved when it comes to, you know, producing something like a product or, you know, creating a campaign for something, you know what I mean? It's just like, there's always this gray area there. And I don't think there's enough information out there, like, you know what I mean? Available to the public about what really goes behind the scenes. Exactly. Like we have Women's Wear Daily and we have Beauty Inc. And we have some other trade publications that, you know, now thanks to blogs and things like that, people do have more access. But at the time, this was, you know, pretty neat for me to see that, especially as my first job. Um, oh. it, it was just eye-opening. I mean, I remember one, I, I used to go to Cannes um, in France every year for the Tax-Free World Association Conference. And um, it was like the duty-free conference. And to be able to have that opportunity was just incredible at the time. And um, one year I was actually on the beach at a party with Oscar de la Renta for oh. his fragrance launch. Oh, and don't was, tell me. He's my favorite. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> I was standing there with like my toes in the sand interviewing him about his launch. And I mean, one-on-one, -on -one, it wasn't even a in a group setting in those times. There was you know, it was like pre-Instagram craze and we really like had the moment uninterrupted and I'll just never forget those types of memories. It was, it was really special. Um, I bet, I bet. So, that's amazing. I, I really, really love that. And I love that you're able to speak about it. Like it's, you know, something that you really cherish and, you know, cause I always wonder with in the editorial world, you guys see so many amazing things, right? Like so many events and so many um, cool things. I always wonder, does it get mundane or does it get kind of routine? But it's cool to hear you say that. Like, I'll never forget this moment, you know? Yeah, I think things, some things do get mundane, like all jobs. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it is a job, even if there are amazing perks. But the, the, the I guess, every day is different. And um, the variety of projects and the variety of interviews that I do um, yeah. keeps everything really interesting. And, um, you know, just keeps me excited day to day to do what I do. And yeah. I think, you know, after working at the um, at the trade publication, I realized, like, I really wanted to do consumer, I really wanted to make the switch to the other side of the industry, because I was seeing like the feedback that other editors were getting on their stories from actual readers. And I was, yeah. I was missing that because being in trade, my audience was, you know, all of the executives at all the companies, which is wonderful. But I was right. like, man, what if I could write a story on acne? And then somebody who has really bad acne would read it and learn something that would help them. That was just, I wanted my words to be able to reach somebody. And of so, course, yeah. That Especially with your me. background in, in journalism, you know, that's, I can completely understand that. Yeah. So I discovered new beauty. Um, and honestly, that was eight and a half years ago now, which is 
it's been <laughs> such a wild ride. Um, well, congratulations. I started... That's Thank quite you. a long time to stick to it one. Is. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Um, I started as the special projects editor and then moved to senior beauty editor. And now I'm the beauty director. So wow, what a ride. It's been a journey. Yeah. 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 Um, You know, honestly, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit, like shifting back to skincare. Um, I know that when we had spoke earlier, when we were scheduling this, um, you had mentioned that you wrote about um, just menopausal changes in skin. And I really love that you mentioned that because I wanted to talk to you about it. If you could kind of go into that um, that piece that you wrote and, and kind of give us some information that you found out when you were researching and stuff. So that's one of the coolest things about new beauty and about my job is that I don't have one specific beat that I have to stick to. Yeah. Um, you know, in the winter issue alone, which is, it just came out last week, you know, I have a story on retinol. I have the story that you just mentioned on, you know, menopausal skincare, um, a, a story on gray hair and, you know, how we were seeing more people in, embracing their grays, uh, during quarantine and stay at home. And, um, I did a story on adaptogens and the, you know, the big wellness trend that's happening right now and, right. With, you know, stress relief and adaption. So it's, it's really, it's, it's so cool to not have to stick to one thing. Like I'm not always writing about makeup or skincare or, or, you know, one thing it's always changing. So um, this specific story is, is really interesting. And I, I think there's a few reasons why it's because, you know, my mom and my aunts and my family and friends, like anybody who has experienced menopause, yeah. it's something that again was considered taboo. I have not experienced it myself but I don't think you have to experience something to write about it, which is what makes journalism great. You know, you can be a reporter and you can educate yourself on these topics. And, and so, you know, I, I heard all these anecdotes from family and friends and I was like, man, you know, you can read blogs about this from time to time, but you, you don't really know like what information has been vetted and, you know, where it's coming from. And we should really do a story on what happens to skin in menopause, because in your inner circles, you hear people complaining about it all the time. And, but people, it's like, there is this little stigma attached to it. Like, Ooh, a hot flash. Like, I don't know. It's so, it's so interesting to me that, you know, I think what you want to read in magazines is what your friends are talking about over dinner or a glass of wine and, and, and that you're not necessarily seeing in print all the time. And that's where, that's really where I draw inspiration. And so I was having several conversations with my mom and she's a teacher. So she was hearing things from her teacher friends. And I went to my, my team and I was like, I really think we need to dive more into the subject of menopausal skincare um, right. and what happens to the skin as we go through menopause. And, um, and what's neat is every woman, aside from some women who have health conditions and medical conditions that may alter you know, their, their body, um, every yeah. woman goes through menopause. So this is something that is inevitable. It's something that we'll all experience. Um, it touches everybody and it's, that's, that's neat because not everybody has acne, you know, not everybody gets fillers and things like that. So, you know, um, I learned in research for the story that near nearly 6,000 women enter menopause every day in the U S um, the average age is 51, but it can occur sooner. Some people, you know, go through perimenopause, some don't. And what happens is there's a major shift that happens to the skin. So 
the um, title of the article is actually Shift Change. Um, and it basically breaks down the three main things that happen to the skin um, during menopause, which is that there can be an increase in acne. Um, there's a big drop in hydration and there's also like a dwindling of our collagen. Um, and so there's, there's this trend of these brands coming out. I actually just got another pitch for one today that are made specifically to target the, these changes and to address them and, um, treat them and correct them. And there's brands like, um, Carez has even launched some products now that are doing really, really well for them in this space. Um, there's pause well aging, which was, um, yeah, I've heard about found that. Yeah. Rochelle, you should really have her on the podcast. She's, she's, oh, yeah. um, the founder Rochelle is, is incredible and so passionate about this subject and the products, the formulas are great. Um, and then a newer one to the space is um, Dr. Zenovia's hormonal dermatology line. She's a dermatologist and a new beauty partner and um, out of California. She's fantastic. So, so smart. I mean, such a brilliant woman. She just wow. launched her line um, that is dedicated to hormonal dermatology and several products um, for menopause. And um, they're actually at Sephora now, which is really oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I think that we're going to be seeing, that. I love that it's becoming mainstream. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I just heard, I can't say, but I, I what brand it is, but the pitch that I got is for a, a brand that's actually launching menopausal skincare at target. And oh, wow. that is just, it's so neat to see this come, you know, into the mainstream and um, you know, now Sephora target, I'm sure there will be many more you know, coming down the path. And basically what these products focus on is, is something called phytoestrogens. And these yeah. are actually natural compounds found in plants and they have a similar chemical structure to the estrogen in our bodies. Right. So when we apply these products topically, scientific data shows us that they can, that these, these, um, phytoestrogens can actually bind to the estrogen receptors in our skin. Yeah. And so it's neat because there are some, controversial side effects associated with applying estrogen topically. So if you can get similar effects from phytoestrogens, which are from plants and safe, that's yeah. what people are really being drawn to. Yeah. And, you know, it, it makes sense theoretically, but I, you know, I always wonder with, um, you know, products that are, see, because menopausal skin changes are not just, um, you know, it's not like something like, for example, it's winter and we have drier skin, right? So it's like this hormonal change, as I'm sure you already know, but I'm just, you know, I'm curious about products that are geared towards um, not replacement of estrogen, but like, you know, it's more rich in a specific hormone because I always wonder if it goes into your bloodstream, what are the downstream effects? So like, you know, I know I'm glad that this is happening so that conversation can be started. You know what I mean? So like, it's, it's a huge, I think, step forward. I agree. I think, you know, we are, we're looking to, that's one of the things I love about New Beauty. We're looking to spark these conversations. We want them to not be taboo. We want everyone to feel comfortable. Um, I think, like I said before, having, having the glass of wine with a girlfriend and saying, oh, did you read that story in New Beauty? And then yeah. feeling comfortable to talk about these changes that are happening. Not everybody does feel comfortable. So if we can make just one person or a few people feel like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not the only one going through this. And there yeah. are things that are out there to help me. That's, yeah. that's the goal. That is the goal. And you know, it's, it's funny that you bring this up because I, 
um, I made a decision to start like, you know, there are some brands that reached out to me that, you know, were, are more about feminine products. And I know I recently had Dr. Sherry, um, on from Urja Beauty and their Intimates line. And it was so refreshing to talk about just women, you know, three women in a room talking about feminine hygiene. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yes. such a, it's such a normal topic and to normalize that is so, so important, especially now. And, you know, this goes right hand in hand with that. We should not be scared or or embarrassed or you know anything to talk about menopause or talk about female changes you know what I'm saying so um yeah I, I think it's huge I think it's a huge step forward and I love that new beauty is supporting that yes and I think it goes to other topics too you know not just intimate health or you know I did a story on vaginal rejuvenation more than one story on vaginal rejuvenation and I am not afraid to say it here I am saying it proudly I received <laughs> I received you know feedback from readers who said you know someone told me my aunt suffers from urinary incontinence and told me that, you know, she was experiencing this and she didn't know who to talk to and she didn't know what she could do to, to be treated yeah. for it. And then she read your article because I told her that I saw it. And it was just so wonderful to hear that type of feedback and um, from all different age groups because different, um, you know, symptoms in the, in your, you know, of our intimate health affect different people in different ways. And, um, you know, there are so many in-office treatments for, um, intimate women's intimate health that people don't even realize. And we've covered almost every single one in the magazine over the last couple of years. And there have been some regular regulatory holdups with the FDA on getting some of these approved, but, um, they, every doctor I've interviewed has said that they're, they are necessary devices and that, you know, hopefully in the future, they will be all approved and safe. And, um, you know, they, they do help a lot of women. So right. I love that and we're I having think, these conversations. I think if you also bring up these topics, it's going to stir, you know, the consumer, the consumers to really want to pay attention and look for these products too. It's almost like we don't think about it till someone, you know, puts it in our face and says, Hey, this could be an option as well. I mean, I know I don't go to the store or, you know, go online looking for specific types of feminine hygiene products. You know what I mean? But if I come across a line that's well done, it's, you know what I mean? It's speaking to me as a woman, it's speaking to me, um, you know, just fundamentally, I'm going to be more inclined to be pay more attention to my gynecological health or my, you know, my, hormonal balances and stuff like that I, it's just something that we have to be reminded of I think you know as, especially women now because we're so busy exactly and you know one of the things I like is that you know at New Beauty we take an authoritative tone and like a scientific tone so I yeah. think everybody trusts our content they know that it's backed by in-depth research so we're not just going to be like here's a highlighter for your V <laughs> you know we're gonna right. we're gonna tell you um we're gonna tell you all, all of the you know the safety concerns and the science and the clinical studies and all of that I mean our reader is really a true beauty junkie who no already knows the basics and wants to deep dive into each subject so we really do the tedious fact checking we vet all the experts that we interview beforehand um, and it goes to every subject so it's not just like we said the feminine sub you know the intimate health subjects or vaginal rejuvenation like we're it all it applies to to everything that might be sort of polarizing so for example if we write a cellulite story we're not telling you that hey you have cellulite something's wrong with you which you will yeah. see on some blogs we're we're saying hey you have cellulite and if you're not happy about it here are some options that can help you. Like we right. want to take the angle of empowerment. So we're never, anything that you see in our magazine is never going to be something that makes you think, 
like, oh man, I have jowls. I'm, you know, I look old and I'm just awful. It's going to be like for the person who has jowls and has been looking for a way to get rid of it, here are your ways. If you're fine with your jowls, then, then great. We're more power to you. We love that. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's, it's the education angle. Yeah. The education aspect. And you know, it's funny you bring up um, empowerment because I mean, I, for me, when I started, you know, researching skincare, for example, um, for me, the huge drive was the science behind it. And I feel like science is the ultimate way to empower anybody, regardless of, you know, background or anything, because the more you understand um, a subject, the more inclined you are to not only, re- you know, I guess, apply it in the right way in your life, but also maybe take that idea forward. So it's like, it's inspiring, you know what I mean? For whoever exactly. is coming up with it. And, you know, I think in terms of just opening these conversations, I'm really interested in the science aspect as well. How do you um, approach a piece that is very science heavy? Do you just go straight to the doctors, or the scientists, or do you kind of do your own research um, on PubMed? So I definitely read a lot of white papers. Um, like I said about our new beauty brain trust, it really is having the best of the best experts on speed dial. I can, I can text, I have texting relationships with some of the top derms in the U S and plastic surgeons in the U S and, you know, they are really there to make sure that we know the latest and greatest, but also the safety concerns and the clinical trials. And a lot of the doctors on our board are doctors who are in the clinical trials for these devices and products. So we're getting the news first before anyone else. And it's just, you know, so it's really starting with the experts. I always go to the experts first, have, have some of those in-depth phone conversations where you can really say, Hey, this is my idea. Let's talk it through. Is this, is this legit? You know, what's the science? And sometimes they say, ah, this is so new that, you know, we don't have enough on it to report on properly yet. And, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow because of course we want to be for, you know, first in the race. We want to, we want to have the information out there first, but we're not going to print anything that isn't vetted and legit. And, um, you know, there's a term in, in the, you know, the aesthetic world called on label and off label. And if something is off label, that means it's being, it's like a device or a filler that's being used in a way that it's not FDA indicated. Um, so you'll see throughout the pages of the magazine and in, on our website and anywhere that we're writing um, that we're going to specify if something is really new, we're going to say, hey, this is not, you know, rigor- rigorously tested yet. And, you know, it might be off label. We want everybody to be educated on, um, on these things. So, you know, and I think it's also not just the doctor component. If it's a new product, we're, we have uh, many cosmetic formulators and cosmetic chemists on our New Beauty Brain Trust who have become good friends of mine over the years and, and will tell me, um, you know, the real deal on ingredients. If there's something I don't see on a, I mean, I don't understand that's on a label, I will go to them before I write it up and make sure that I understand it uh, before yeah. I'm recommending it for anybody. So it really starts with the experts and and the white papers. And usually the experts I'm talking to will recommend white papers as well so that I'm not wasting my time, um, you know, on something that yeah. might have been a small, a small um, trial group. Because if something was only tested on 16 people, I'm probably not going to, you know, consider that legit. But if it was tested on 100 women over the course of four to six weeks and it's a legit clinical study, then um, that will be, you know, that would be more of interest to me. No, one thing I'm curious about is that, see, I've always been struggling to find the balance between, like, for example, a medical journal versus um, other forms of editorial 
um, you know, that you're, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's like, it's either straight up medical journal where you're publishing a paper with numbers and facts and stuff, or someone is interpreting the results. How do you, how do you keep that balance there? Because, you know, I know a lot of dermatologists, a lot, a lot of doctors are, are very skeptical about um, beauty articles because they, you know, the feedback I've received is, well, the numbers aren't there, or, you know, the, the information isn't being presented the way it would be in the article itself, where, you know, usually they say there's not conclusive evidence or there's not, you know what I'm saying? So how do you keep that in mind when you're writing something? Do you usually kind of stick to what the scientific authors are saying, or do you kind of interpret it and write what you're interpreting? We for the most part, stick to what the authors are saying. And I will say the, the difference between us and perhaps other, you know, publications um, is that our fact-checking process is so tedious that the chance of anything false or, um, you know, an inflated number or a, a wrong statistic getting through onto our page is slim to none. Um, and that's really what differentiates us is, you know, I've had many, many a publicist tell me, thank you so much for your fact-checking process, because it's, it's very, um, you know, we are, we're making sure that not only the publicist signs off on it, but in many cases, if it is about scientific data, that the doctors on our board are all signing off on it, multiple doctors. Um, and we've had people come back and say, Oh, can you send me the, the link to this article? I just, that number just seems off to me. And we do, and we, make sure that we have, you know, the paper trails and, and all the facts are in order before something goes to print. And I think that's just really important. And, you know, also it goes into just the, the editor's due diligence. Um, you know, we're, we're always asking, I've had publicists reach out to me and say, oh, I'm, you know, our brand is launching this new hair growth serum. Can yeah. you test it and give us your feedback? And, and I'm like, well, do you have my reply is always, well, do you have any clinical clinical studies? Do you have any before and afters? And can you send me the full list of ingredients? I'm, I'm not going to put something on my head that I don't have knowledge about yeah. um, <laughs> or my face or any body part for that matter. But especially with something like a hair growth claim, because there's just, you know, that's just such a, a fine line. It's a huge line. thing. It's a huge, yes. here's the thing, Britt, I'm honestly with you on that because the thing is, I want to ask you why, you know, okay, let me, let me start over. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, there's been this huge question mark in my mind because everybody out there is like, well, where's the data? You know, where's the data? But I've always thought to myself, well, in the editorial world, why aren't editors demanding for there to be more rigorous clinical trials before they even consider um, publishing anything about a product, right? So, like, I'm not attacking any, anyone when I say that, but I'm saying that this is such a huge platform, you know what I mean, that can be used to push this idea of more scientific data behind things and I because you know I see oftentimes I'll see a brand get featured in a magazine and I'm sitting there thinking to myself well where was the where's the reasoning for why this is being published and I'm saying like where's the yeah. real proof where's the you know where is that drive or, or that push from the editorial side to say hey wait a minute I want you to tell me more because you got you know from your end you guys are the journalists right so it's like I feel like that's it that's you know your right to ask for that so how do you do you have you ever had a situation like that where you've reached to a brand and said well give me a little bit more information before I write about your stuff 
Oh, all the time. I had a yeah. brand recently who pitched me with the, I don't remember if it was the subject line exactly, but the, the tagline of the email was mm. this product is like Botox in a bottle. Yeah. And that to me is immediately a red flag term. And for everyone on my team, we would, they would say the same. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I'm not going to be, you know, hush, hush about that. I, I want them to know that you know, new beauty takes the time to vet everything and we care and that Botox in the, in a bottle is not a real thing. Um, you know, right. we, right. there are so many brands that like to say that, oh, this acts like Botox, but Botox is a neuromodulator. It's a, yes. it's a toxin that, exactly. that temporarily freezes your muscles and can only work when injected. So I, I actually took the opportunity to write back to this brand and say, you know, there's a little bit of a red flag here. I'm just curious if you could please, um, you know, present why you're making that claim and, and send me whatever data you have. And they did. And, um, you know, it's, it's not something that I have, I haven't tested it yet, but, um, the publicist was very receptive and was like, thank you for, for letting me know that that's a red flag to you. And I think sometimes they didn't mean anything wrong by it. Um, you know, it's something that's probably going to catch an editor's eye in an email and I don't yeah. blame them for that, but it, it is important to do the, you know, the due diligence on our end. And our team is very, very good at that. And I think that's why, um, you know, our readers really trust us. Absolutely. And I love that. I love that you do that. Seriously. I want to commend you for that. That's really, really like, I think responsible reporting. And I think more people need to be exercising that honestly, you know, I, I think, you know, people are asking me, you know, I have some friends that are like working on a line or, you know, and they always ask like, if I, as from a consumer standpoint, they'll ask me, well, what would you look for in a skincare line? And I'm like, honestly, numbers, like, give me, show me the numbers, give me the clinical trials. Don't say we're going to have a clinical trial coming up. No, go have one and then tell me what you found and then tell me how you change your product to kind of, you know what I mean? To really like um, show the science and to really reflect the science. Because at this point, I think in the beauty industry, like we have enough fluff, we have enough, you know, fillers of things that don't work and they're they're just redundancies, right? So it's like to to be able to set that bar higher and say, no, we will not accept anything that's below the standard. I think it's absolutely important at this point. Right. And I think to be fair, you know, clinical trials are very expensive and I know that there will always be brands that aren't rooted in, you know, strict science that, you know, they're more for the sensorial experience or, you know, I mean, even aromatherapy does have some science behind it, but there are, there will always be brands that don't fit that mold. But if you're going to make a strong claim, like reduces wrinkles by 48% in four weeks or something to that degree, you, you, you have to put, yeah, your money where your mouth is. <laughs> exactly. hundred percent agree with you. And there's nothing wrong with the brands that are aromatherapy and there's nothing wrong with self-care right. brands. You know, I'm all about that too. I just think that there are a lot of people that are like, like what you said, like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, this is SPF 155. And I'm just sitting here like, why? <laughs> I know, (laughs) you know, for what reason do you have those kind of things are, you know, is what I was referring to as well. But yeah, I agree. I agree. I think this is a interesting, interesting area, you know, in the beauty industry for sure. Yeah. And I think when you, you know, I've been doing this for more than a decade and it's, it's, it's healthy to be a bit skeptical after all of these years. I mean, to me, it's being skeptical in a good way. I trust my gut. I have a keen eye. And I think that we all, you know, you get slightly jaded when you see, you know, 10 
pitches with the same product. And so I think it's, it's really about a fresh perspective in beauty. It's 2021. I think one of the really interesting things we're going to see more of is, um, you know, the, a bigger presence in the aesthetic space. I think there's going to be for sure, um, you know, more minimally invasive and non-invasive treatments. I mean, even the plastic surgeons I interview are like more things are, are, you know, not involving surgery and they're non-invasive and we're getting really great results. And yeah, so I think that's a huge trend. And, um, and so it's, I don't know, it's, it's ever evolving And, um, it's, it's healthy to be a little bit skeptical. And I think that's good. I think it keeps us, it keeps us grounded and it keeps the information factual and, um, you know, good for the reader. I hundred percent agree. And you honestly took my, my thought right out because I was thinking about the whole idea that, you know, there's a lot of critics right now for skincare, especially, you know, um, in terms of how much it really does for you because it's topical, but I, you know, I sit there and think to myself, well, isn't that the next step is that we have to do these things to figure out what is the most non-invasive way to make people feel wonderful about how they look, you know? Mm -hmm. So if we don't do skincare and if we don't have these like technological advancements in, like just the skincare realm will never get to a point where you're not going to have to go in and get a facelift. You know what I mean? It hasn't, doesn't have to be invasive anymore. So it, in a, in a large part, it is still this experimental model that we're working with, you know, in that realm. And it's good that there's people like you that are, you know, that you guys, you're prying and you're, you, you want to know more and you're publishing the real stuff. So I really love that. Yeah. And you know what else too? It's Mm. not just, it's not just what you said about, you know, having skincare to stop doing surgery. It's also the, the other side of it, which is if you get surgery, because there are a lot of people that will continue doing this forever, that if you do, you just spent thousands of dollars. So why not hold up your investment with the best skincare? So exactly. and then not take care of your skin and expect to still look 10 years younger. It, yeah. It's all part of the same puzzle. Exactly. I 100% agree. So. I want to ask you because I really want to know what are some of your favorite products right now? So this is a loaded question. I feel like I am trying so many things, especially for our big beauty awards. Um, but the few that I'm loving right now are number one, the Strivectin, their new barrier cream. Um, I think it's called wrinkle recode and it is phenomenal. I think it just launched, um, in the last month, the texture feels like butter and it melts into your skin, like, like butter too. Um, it's so rich and so yummy. Have you tried it? No, I need to though. Seriously. (laughs) I might just invite them on for an interview. I think you need to honestly, because this, this cream is it's, I mean, especially for that dry winter skin, it's like loaded with ceramides and niacin and, um, they have clinical testing and they have really good before and afters. And I just, I honestly cannot get enough of this. It's saved my skin. Um, you know, Strivectin was the first brand I used for retinol and I loved it. Loved, loved, loved it. It is so good. And their stuff is strong too. It's legit skincare. They, they know what they're doing. Absolutely. Um, and then honestly, sunscreen, like every other beauty editor would say is so important to me. Um, I make sure everybody in my family is loaded up with it all the time. Um, you know, working indoors now, um, as opposed to running around the city, I am still every single day wearing my sunscreen because most of them now also protect against blue light, um, and any other rays that are coming in through your window. So I'm obsessed with the super goop glow screen. Um, it's an SPF 40. Have you tried that one? 
Yes. It's oh my so god. So good. So I love all I, of Supergroup's products. Like seriously. Honestly, it's Supergroup is awesome. Um, that one has like hyaluronic acid and niacinamide and it. it has this like peachy glowy tint. So it just gives me like, if I don't want to wear any makeup, but I want to be glowing for Zoom meetings, it's such a yes. good one. Um, and then exfoliation, I always, you know, weave that into my routine. So I, and I love the cult classic Dr. Dennis Gross extra strength peel pads. Yes, um, me too, uh, my favorite. <laughs> the best, honestly, they've won our new beauty awards so many years in a row and my husband uses them too. And they're so good. Um, and I weirdly love the way they smell. I don't know if you feel me the too? same way. Oh my God. <laughs> so oh my good. God. Me too. I thought I was the only weird one. <laughs> yeah. Like, why do I love them? Yeah. No, no they're like, I, it's a go-to. I use their extra strength one and I just, I can't live without it. Same. And that's the one that's won our award. It's so good. Um, and then I also love Josh Rosebrook's daily acid toner. It's oh my God. I, yeah. When it, yeah. yeah, when it first came out, I was telling everyone, I'm like, this is arguably the most elegant acid toner I've ever used. Um, I just, he's, he's like a dear friend and he's just a master of creating delivery systems and cocktailing acids and, you know, making them so that they don't disrupt the skin barrier. And I just, I love everything that he stands for. And this toner just, it makes my skin feel so soft and look so radiant and it's helped with like redness around my nose and chin. I just love it. Um, and then one other thing I love Josh, by the way, I had him on the show and I am obsessed with him. He is the coolest person ever. I I love talking to him. (laughs) He is a genuinely good soul. Like, yeah, like like, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Like you feel, you feel like when you, when you hang up the phone with him, I feel better about my day. Yes. He's just just so great. Um, and then my other favorite is the Anissa beauty skincare brushes. Oh, never heard of them. Okay. So I, I had a 30 day mask challenge on my Instagram and where I tried a different mask every day for 30 consecutive days, which was yeah. really tough on my skin. Um, but bet. one of the things that I discovered, um, a couple years ago that I used in that challenge were these skincare brushes. So basically it's the brands Anissa beauty, and they make like five or six different, um, sizes and shapes of the brushes. And you can use them to apply any type of skincare, but I really love to apply masks with them. Cause it just, it makes like what would be routine, a ritual. And yeah. it's just like that moment for me to like Zen out and really just like reflect inward and not look at my phone or the TV and just, it like hugs your cheeks as you apply it. It's so nice. So I would I just, my, my like tip to everybody would be to try a skincare brush and see how you feel because it's really just changed my routine for the better. I'm actually going to check them out because I've always wanted to get mask brushes like genuinely I've never done it but I need to get some so I'm going to check it out for sure. These were like one of the first skincare brushes on the market and I've noticed that more and more launching I've been sent about five in the last three months so um, you know they were definitely on to something and it it's just it's so nice it's like sometimes it's the little things you know. Yes it is the little things so it's like the little you know I always say it's like your little chemistry bench sometimes with skincare you know what I mean like you little mix a little bit you put it on your face I mean just it's fun you know it's fun and it's relaxing at the end of the day yeah and beauty should be fun It, it is fun and um I'm, I'm just, I'm a huge fan. I I love talking about this with you and um, I love your podcast. So thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time. This has been so lovely. Of course. I hope to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Well, I could talk to you for hours, Brittany. Honestly, this is awesome. This was such a good conversation. Oh my gosh. I know. I feel like (laughs) 
there's just so there's so many there's beauty is just incredible i mean honestly i i feel like i could talk to you for hours as well i mean <laughs> i'm just so lucky to be part of this industry and to get to have conversations like this with people like you so thank you no thank you I, i'm truly truly humbled and honored to have hosted you and everybody out out there um listening please um check this episode out and also leave us some comments and feedback for for Brittany and I, I will definitely pass them along to her and maybe we can um, invite her back on for part two. I would love that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.